I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. You know, just arriving to the sea was, I guess, the, the significant moment of having crossed all of France, you know, with no money, with no bag, with no phone, with no map. And so that was, yeah, that was that's definitely a moment I remember. Nine years ago, Etienne began a journey that would be quite unlike any other in his life. And I imagine quite unlike any that you or I have experienced. He decided to walk from the south to the north of France and also around Ireland with no money, no phone, no shoes and no map. This is a conversation about why he did that and what he learned along the way. I think it's quite a fascinating story and I really hope you enjoy listening to it. Before we begin, if you'd like to help support this podcast, you could share it with a friend or leave a rating or review. By doing so, we get to reach new listeners and continue to grow this really warm and very supportive community. Thank you so much to everyone who has already done so. Your support really, really does mean the world. But now, here's my conversation with Etienne. I had just finished my uh, engineering studies. I'd, I'd been studying engineering for five years and I had decided to take a year out. Um, and so, um, yeah, the, the idea grew uh, during that year. Uh, I had initially done a big um, cycling journey, uh, you know, with a tent and with cooking gear and maps and it was all quite organized. And... I I guess I felt during that cycling journey that things were going a little bit too quickly. You know, I was just cycling through villages uh, and I wasn't uh, taking everything in. And mm. that's when the idea of, of doing a walk kind of, you know, kind of began. Uh, I also read a book around that time called No Destination uh, by a guy called Satish Kumar who had walked from India to England back in the 60s or 70s. Oh. Um, so he he was a big inspiration also. Uh, and I guess, you know, a, a good few things came together uh, for me to to kind of embark on this journey. Going on the cycle, 
as you said, it was all very organized <laughs> and things were going too quickly. And then obviously having the idea, because I know some people who have done cycles like that also, I might've even known people who were done, uh, done a cycle with you before. At no point did it ever come into their head that I have to take this one more step mm. or I have to kind of do this, but in a different way, maybe in a more personal way and push yeah, myself. I mean, now, you know, on reflection, uh, listening to you and, and thinking about it, I think the biggest thing that I missed on the cycle was the human connection. Uh, and that's because I was so well organized, I didn't really have any reason to meet people. And I was just kind of on my own the whole time. And I guess one of the main ideas of the walk was to do it in a way that forced me to come into contact with people. Um, yeah. and, and actually, let's just make it clear what exactly you did. Mm. When I said you walked from the south of France, there's a few, I guess, important details I, I've left out. Yeah, yeah. And I remember you telling me this and I was like, you are an absolute madman. Um, so walking the length of France and around Ireland is one thing, but you did it with no shoes. Yeah, no shoes. No money. I think you brought like an old crappy phone, which was like, I think your mother's way. No, no phone. No phone. <laughs> I tell you, no phone. phone, no maps, uh, no bag, no tent, no, uh, no passport. Um, uh, yeah, I, I just didn't have very much at all. I just basically had the clothes that I was wearing. Uh, I had a spare pair of boxers, spare t-shirt. Uh, no passport. And the plan was originally to walk from France and then make it to Ireland. So what was your thinking there? Yeah, so I, you know, I knew my plan, which was to walk across France and, and then around Ireland. Uh, I knew afterwards or I had the idea afterwards that life would get back to normal. So I knew I'd get stuck. If I didn't bring my passport, I'd get stuck in Ireland at the end without a passport. Mm. So I gave, I can't remember who I gave my passport to. It was either probably someone in my family, uh, probably my dad. Anyway, my passport was waiting for me in Ireland uh, once I got once I finished the walk. Mm, okay. Um, why France and why Ireland? Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. Um, so I'm, I'm half French, half Irish. Um, and I, 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 I've done lots of traveling. Um, and I always was attracted to kind of far away places, you know, South America, Africa. Um, I was never... I was never attracted to traveling in France or in Ireland. Uh, I guess because I kind of took the two countries for granted uh, because mm. I grew up between them. And I guess I wanted to find that kind of traveling spirit that you guess, you know, when you're in a foreign country, you meet new people and everything seems very fresh and very interesting. I wanted to try and find that feeling in my two countries that I'm very used to. Um, so it was a way of like kind of re reconnecting with France and with Ireland 
in a way that I hadn't experienced them before. As you were leaving the south of France, like the first day or even the night before, um, or even the first 10 kilometers of the journey, did any point come into your mind like, what the hell am I doing here? Um, so that's no, but it's true that it was the strangest. Like the closer I was to home, like when I had just left, this, because I was asking for food along the way, I was asking for to stay in people's home along the way. And when I was only 5, 10, 20 kilometers away from home, it did feel quite strange uh, because I was in places that I knew. Um, yeah. Whereas once I was two, three, four days walk away, it was all just random. And I guess there was less of a sense of kind of self, uh, what's that word? Um, self-awareness, you know, uh, the inhibition uh, wasn't there. Mm. Uh, but no, I guess I left... I guess trusting that it was going to work out, and if I if I didn't do that, I would have been a bit crazy because I was putting myself in a very vulnerable position. But I suppose believing that it was actually going to work out meant that I wasn't crazy. If that makes sense. And you, yeah. Well, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> uh, can you remember the first time you asked for, I imagine the first thing that you asked for, I, I imagine was food as opposed to accommodation. Yeah. yeah. Lunchtime in Barjol. I do remember that. Uh, how was it? Very strange. Uh, so, I, you know, I left in the morning. Uh, Barjol is what, maybe about 10 kilometers away. Uh, so I arrived there about lunchtime. Uh, I remember the first two or three places that I asked for food said no uh, and I was like uh oh uh, uh, and yeah the, the third or fourth place it was a, it, like a, a restaurant you know one of those French kind of bar restaurants places and yeah I remember the lads he in France they always have like a, the menu of the day and that day was uh, pa- paella and yeah, he just gave me a big kind of takeaway dish of paella and mm. um, then sat watching some lads playing bulls. And yeah, I was like, wow, here we go. It's, it's a, a, a nice, nice meal to start with, I have to say. Um, when you said the first three or four places or two or three, whatever it was, said no. Did you take that no personally or did you did you did you look at that and say i need to change the way i ask for food mm. were you seeing this as a learning experience you know almost as you as you went about it yeah um so i definitely know that i ended up having a very kind of uh smooth sentence smooth phrase that i would say and i would always say the same one i can't actually remember how quickly i developed that phrase uh, so it's possible on the first day or the first two days that it was still a bit rough that phrase and i was i was uh, let's say playing around with different ways of phrasing things so many people for food and accommodation along the way you know i was walking for about four months and um, mm. 
that every single no that came my way, I just had to kind of accept it and forget it on the spot and not to not to take it with me because otherwise basically every new person I came across and I would ask, I felt it was important to ask with sort of a fresh, like light mindset and not a sort of a heaviness of, you know, with 30 people have said no, nobody's going to say yes to me. I had mm. to kind of work on not having the attitude. And I guess, you know, on days, on days where I would literally ask 30 or 35 people for, for, for a place to stay in the evening, I, I learned to have a sort of, um, to be curious about who would finally actually say yes. And, uh, you know, the meetings with the people were quite special, you know, because I would stay in their house. So we would end up having, you know, quite, quite, I suppose, honest and, and spontaneous connections, relationships, conversations. And so the more people that said no to me, the more curious I would get thinking, you know, oh, so who, you know, who is it actually going to be this evening? Um, okay. Yeah. And I guess that's, that's what, that's what kept me going on the, on the, on the longer evenings. Yeah. But like that is not, uh, I'm trying to think, is that something that you learned like a technique, like bringing that freshness, that, that curiosity, or is it something that you just came from somewhere in that moment and you were able to bring that to the, to the walk and to the experience? Yeah. I mean, it's definitely not something I prepared. Like maybe part of it is in my character naturally. Um, I would say, you know, I did have a lot of thinking time because all day I was just walking. Um, so I guess I did have time to reflect and think about what the best approach was. And I figured it was just to be, to be fresh and spontaneous. Mm. Uh, and I guess, you know, especially people welcoming me into their houses for me to sleep there for the night, I did figure they were more likely to say yes if I came across as kind of fresh and friendly as opposed to, you know, one of those complainy world haters. Yeah. Um, yeah. I guess that wasn't going to work out as well. Can you remember the, the line that you used for asking for food and for asking for a place to stay? Yeah, I think I do. Um, so in French, I'll say it in French because so half of the trip was in France and then in Ireland. In French, I would always say, um, Bonjour, je suis en train de traverser la France avec très peu de moyens et j'aimerais savoir si vous pouvez me donner soit à manger ou m'héberger uh, chez vous ce soir. Uh, and so that in English, so in England, I, 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 in English, I basically say the exact same thing. Uh, so hello, I am walking around Ireland with very little means. And I'd like to know if you could give me food. So I say food if it was, you know, during the day, or if you could give me uh, a place to stay if it was in the evening. Uh, yeah, that was basically my sentence. And what was the what was the typical response to that? Yeah, I mean, for so long I tried to f figure people out, and 
Okay. These just people are just all so different and they surprised me so much. You know, some people that I would see them and I'd be thinking, right, this is in the bag. This lad is definitely saying yes. And, you know, he'd either be rude or there'd be no way or whatever. And then, you know, I'd see a mother with a double pram and a load of shopping and I'd ask her and she'd say yes. Um, so it, there was just no, cause at the beginning I was always trying to figure people out and ask people who I thought would be most likely to say yes. And as the days and the weeks went on, I learned that it wasn't up to me to decide. I guess it wasn't up to my judgment on people, whether I would ask or not. It was actually unpredictable and it was I kind of dropped the judgment and just gave everybody a fair chance of, of saying yes to me or not. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's crazy if you think like what you learned on that trip and we will talk about that, like maybe towards the end, but what you took away from it and what you brought from that experience into your life now. But, um, even, you know, from, um, I think anybody's perspective in their day-to-day life, whether it's work or relationships, etc sometimes we go for what we think is the right thing for us but what you're saying there is perhaps we don't know what the right answer is and Mm. it's just having that curiosity and that not belief but that freshness or naivety almost you know where where the best thing for us can come from um it's an interesting kind of philosophy to to think about. But you made your way, this, this is, okay, so we're kind of, you've gotten the hang now of, of this little phrase. Um, you're getting more used to asking for food, to asking for a um, uh, place to stay. As you said, I imagine it took more... Uh, I, I imagine you had to ask a lot more people for a place to stay on any given day than you had to ask for food. Because I, I can think if I'm if I'm a chef in a restaurant, I mean, most restaurants will have food left over at the end of the day anyway. So that was probably your technique there was was just to go into a town and say, listen, if you have anything extra, if, if you'd be great, if you could give it to me. And I imagine most chefs would probably say, yeah, all right, I'm not going to use all of these anyway. Um for you to stay in my house, you're a guy that I don't know. First of all, you know, you're a fully grown man. Um, you know, um, I have no idea who you are. Um, the one thing I would say is that in your favor is you, you look healthy, you know, you're not, Mm. uh, uh, you're not a person who's, you know, uh, I wouldn't say that you're clearly addicted to drugs or you're, yeah, you definitely yeah. weren't drunk. I, I look, I look clean, even though you know, I I had a kind of long hair and a big beard, but I think I think as humans, we're very good at sussing people out, and yeah. this was, you know, the people I was asking would need to suss me out quite quickly, um. Yeah. But I think they could see quite quickly that I was, you know, harmless, as you say, you know, not not 
not kind of a drug, a drug addict or, or, or not dangerous. Um, yeah, and I think as humans, we, we, we do have that ability. Mm. Um, and you, yeah. Can you think of, in terms of the French part of the trip, yeah. uh, maybe three things that, that jump out at you, three highlights of the French part, whether they be people or experiences or anything that jumps into your mind? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, there's so much, but I guess the first three, um, about, about four days in, I'd say, I was having lunch uh, in, a, in, in a town in the Luberon. And so it was actually a couple who had invited me to have lunch with them in a restaurant. Um, so that was, yeah, you know, in in my books, that was fair enough because I wasn't accepting any money along the way. But if people wanted to have lunch with me and pay for that meal, that was fine. And it came to the end of the meal and they were having ice creams. And, you know, they said, do you want an ice cream? And I was like, no, no, no. Like, I can't, you know, you've fed me. I can't accept an ice cream. And they're like, no, but of course, like, you know, it would be a pleasure to to invite you to an ice cream. And I could see it was true. Like, they actually wanted me to enjoy the moment. They could see, they could probably see I wanted an ice cream, but I didn't want to say it. <laughs> and, you know, after that moment, I was like, well, I guess if the people want to give it to me, I might as well, you know, have it if if I'll enjoy it and they, they, they'll enjoy and give it to me. So after that moment, you know, if I walked by a pizza truck and I felt like a pizza, which I would, you know, usually consider a bit of a luxury, uh, well, I'd be like, well, I'll ask the pizza man, you know, those little pizza vans in France. I'll ask the pizza man if he wants to give me a pizza. Great. If he doesn't, no problem. And so after that, you know, and again, walking through a village, I've, there'd be an ice cream shop. I'd feel like an ice cream. I'd go and ask them. Chances are they'd say no. Chances are they'd say yes. But from that moment onwards, I didn't, I didn't restrict myself in any way as to what I was asking for. Um, so, so, so that was one of the moments. Uh, then in France, another big moment was uh, just arriving to the sea. It was in La Rochelle, uh, and you know, just arriving to the sea was. I guess the the significant moment of having crossed all of France, you know, with no money, with no bag, with no phone, with no map. And uh, so that was, yeah, that was that's definitely a, a moment I remember. I imagine um, when you when you say with no map, it was just you were following road signs. When so a few things, I guess. Firstly, so in France, I, I started, you know, down in the southeast corner, close to close to Italy. So mm. I was basically walking northwest, like up towards Ireland. Um, mm. And, you know, so my main thing was the sun. You know, you know, the sun gets up in the east at midday. It's in the south and in the evening it's in the west. Mm-hmm. So I could use the sun to just know in which general direction I needed to head. Uh, mm. because at the end of the day the the exact route I took didn't actually matter I was just heading up to the northwest of France uh, so the sun was the main one then um, basically every village and this is everywhere always has a map um, mm. 
you don't really notice it when you live in places, but when I was walking, there'd always be maps of, you know, the village and the few villages around. And I'd know I was heading northwest, so I'd pick the next two or three villages. And, you know, I'd ask people what was the best way to get to the next village. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, they, they were the main ones, really. Yeah. The sun and, and just the maps and villages. The sun and, and the stars. She's perfect yeah. to you. Um, so arriving in La Rochelle, was that your last um, port of call in France? Um, did you go further than that? Or what happened when you got to La Rochelle? Yeah, so so my idea was was to, once I got to the sea, was to ask yachts if they could take me across to Ireland. Uh so from La Rochelle, I would I would go, you know, to those harbors where there's loads of uh, yachts. And um, mm. in the end, I took I think it was nine different yachts, basically up the west coast of France, and a little yacht hopping uh, or yacht hitchhiking up the coast. Um, because you know, every time I'd ask people, "Are you going to Ireland?" and mm. the first nine said no, but I'm going up that way, so I can take you part of the way. Um, what does that mean? That that mean? Does that mean I'm going up that way, as in further north? There'll be there will be boats that go to Ireland, or yeah, exactly. Because so La Rochelle is kind of like halfway up the west coast of France. Mm-hmm. So I figured, and they figured, well, if I bring you closer to the kind of northwest tip, the northwest corner of France there's more chances of boats leaving there to go to Ireland. Mad. Yeah. And then what happened finally was that you, you in the end, you found a, a boat that was, was going to go to Ireland. So finally, I found a boat that was going to the Isles of Scilly, which I had never heard of before, but they're these very small, random islands. And off the tip of England, off the tip of Cornwall, kind of okay. halfway between France and Ireland, um all right okay and what what was the reason that the boat was going there well no basically most boats most small boats that sail from france to ireland go to the isles of Scilly. it's kind of like a how would you call it like a restock place you know they get you get fresh water for your boat you get some food um you know the isles of Scilly. there's populations there like there's shops and there's little villages and towns um, so, so yeah, the boat was going there and I was like, okay, I'll go there. It's halfway to Ireland. How, how big was the boat? So it was yachts, you know, anywhere from, they'd be between, I guess, eight and 12 meters long, most of them. Uh, so, you know, just little yachts, single sails. And, and how, how many people would have, were, was on the boat that you sailed on? Yeah, usually, usually two to four people. Okay. Um, and did you tell them, like, listen, I don't have any sailing experience, or maybe you did have sailing experience, so how did you sell yourself? Yeah, I mean, I told them, I still told them the same story, that I was walking, so that I, I guess that there I was saying that, that I had walked through France, and I was yeah. trying to get to Ireland, and could they help me out? And the, the boat community, the yachts, unless they were going, like, south, unless they were going the wrong way, not one boat that was going the correct way didn't take me. So well, the boats, first time, every time they took me on. 
any any thoughts as to why that is? Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm I'm not big in like I'm not big into sailing, so I I don't know the sailing community that well. But my experience of it from that experience is that I think they're all very helpful towards each other. It's kind of a community that 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 is trusting and that understands each other, and they're always ready to help out. Mm. Um, and yeah, they just did every time. So how long did then did it take to sail from La Rochelle to the Isles of Scilly? Of Scilly. So I think in total, it was about 10 days. You know, because sailing, it's not that quick. Wow. And because I was hopping, you know, I do one or 200 kilometers on the boat up the coast and it was lots of little hops. Um, so yeah, it was basically more or less one boat per day. You know, and then it depends on the tides. When the tides were out, I just have to wait because the boats couldn't get out of the harbour. So it was, yeah, yeah, it was definitely, I guess if I had walked it, it probably would have been as quick. Yeah. Um, but when when you finally arrived in, in, in the Isles of Scilly, what were they like? I mean, I've, I've never even really heard of them and I don't think I plan on going there anytime soon. So can you tell you, for anybody who's listening, would you recommend the Isles of Scilly as a, as a holiday destination? Definitely. Uh, really, really nice. So I was there at the beginning of July um, and the weather was great. I guess when the weather's good there, you know, it's very idyllic. Like the, the islands are lovely. The sea, you know, is very clear, very blue. Um, of course, if it's raining grey, the sea will be less attractive. But the days that I was there, it was it was absolutely gorgeous. And the people are just very, very relaxed. I guess because they live on these islands, there's just a very different tempo to life. Yeah. Yeah. Island style life. Um, it's a nice way to be. It's funny. I I think that that style of life actually still does exist to a certain extent in, in, in Ireland and maybe in the countryside and other countries as well. I, I overheard, um, I was in down in the countryside in Ireland over the weekend and I overheard a man who was working but probably in his 50s, so he's a little bit of an older gentleman. Uh, in a cafe, we were having lunch. He was sitting behind us and his phone rang. Um, and I, This might not sound strange or unusual in, in any way, but I think these days, to a certain extent, it is strange and unusual because he answered the phone and he said, hi, how are you doing? Uh, listen, I'm having a cup of tea. I'll call you back later. <laughs> um, and I just thought, you know, I was thinking, would I ever say that to somebody? Like, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm having a cup. Of, like, not even I'm having lunch or I'm having dinner, but I'm having a cup of tea, <laughs> and I don't want to be disturbed. Like, but I, I have the grace to answer you. To, to, you know, I'm not ignoring your phone call. I will call you back later. But right now, you have to respect my time for a cup of tea. Uh, so that's kind of when I think of that island lifestyle. Is it's kind of uh, similar, I guess. Um. When you came to Ireland, I should say to people who are listening, well, one thing that you did do along this whole trip, I guess, for uh, as a way of um, keeping people in the loop or updating people as to where you were and how you were getting on. I mean, obviously, there was a lot of people who were worried about you or, you know, you know, how is he getting on? Is he OK? Oh, my God, he doesn't have any money. He doesn't have a phone. Like, um, hopefully he doesn't end up, you know, on the side of a road in a ditch or somewhere but what you did is you sent 
emails along the way um, to a whole list of people. But basically, uh, the emails were thanking people for various different um, things, I guess, that you experienced during your day. Um, so I'm going to read out just a few of those that I have here. Um, I had, I still have all your emails, but you sent me on some that you uh, that you have earlier on today. And this was uh, an email chain, or I guess an email from Wednesday, the 23rd of July, um, which is Caro Kennedy to Glen Hest via Westport and Newport. So it's interesting because I know Mayo quite well, but. I obviously know Westport and Newport, but I have no idea where Carol Kennedy and Glen Hest is. But anyway, what you said was, um, thank you, Ed, for sharing breakfast with me and keen for shedding tears at my departure. Thank you, the manager in the Wyatt Hotel in Westport for the brown bread and butter. Thank you, Carl, in the pub in Westport for the soup and sandwich and the reaction. Are you serious? After having been asked. Thank you, the girls and Martin or Martin in the bakery in Westport for the scone, tea and surprise chocolate muffin, as well as the grainy bread. So, so far I'm reading this and I'm thinking, did you not have enough food in Westport by the time you've gone to the pub, you've gone to the bakery and you've gone to the hotel? He's gre- greedy, I would call you at this point. Um Thank you, Ruth, in Newport for the melon and oranges and the random chat and onward directions. Thank you, Pauline, Joe, Alistair and Sinead in Glen Hest for the spontaneous acceptance of taking me in, the freshly prepared barbecue meal, the interest in the journey and the insight to holistic healing and energy. Whatever about whatever people want to say about doing something like this, the experiences that you had in my mind, are unparalleled. You will never have met these people in any other, through any other way. Mm. Um, and really putting yourself out there, um, I, I, like as you said before, kind of at the mercy of other people, like like opening yourself up and that actually I need other people today to get me through this day. And that was your philosophy every day. Um, but it seems like you had like you had plenty of food at this part of the trip it sounded like you had a really nice conversation with these people that you stayed in their house they prepared a barbecue for you um it almost sounds luxurious and uh, no, i mean it was it was i so i hadn't done lots of traveling before um and every time before i'm not i'm not a big lad but i always lost weight um, mm-hmm. and this is the only trip I've ever done where I actually put on weight um, <laughs> you know because you can see what people were giving me and I was just walking every day and I guess one one kind of internal rule I had to myself was that I would never carry food just like I wouldn't accept mm-hmm. money I wouldn't carry food because then otherwise the people that were giving to me were just piles, like they would just be so generous. Um, and I guess by carrying food, it also prevented me from asking people further down the line because I felt like you shouldn't be asking for food if I have some in my bag already. So I would never walk with food. 
Um, and I guess, you know, you could see there in, in Westport, you know, you're saying where you're being greedy, but I guess uh, the mindset I was in is like, well, if I'm still hungry, I'll ask now, I'll eat it now until I'm satisfied and then I'll walk. Um, mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it's it's kind of amazing. The one trip that you put on weight, <laughs> it's hilarious <laughs> to think about it. Um, do you have any particular highlights of the, the Irish part of your trip? Um, I mean, so many. Um, I guess just the first, the first two that come to mind. One is it was it was around around Roscommon, I think it was. I um knocked on someone's door in the evening to to you know to ask if they'd take me in and that person you know they were surprised and kind of hesitant and they said no um i can't actually remember if it was the, the like the husband or the wife um mm. you know and and i always made it very like a big point in myself to not insist in any way. So I'd ask my question and if I felt any hesitation or any no, it'd be like, absolutely no problem. Thank you. Bye-bye. Um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't kind of hang around or, or ask again or anything. So anyway, I kept going, uh, you know, knocked to the next few houses. And then the person from that house came running after me. Uh, you know, this is five, 10 minutes later. And said, oh, I, you know, after I closed the door, I went to speak to my partner and, you know, I just wasn't sure in the moment, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Come back, please come back. We would absolutely love to have you in our house. Um, These are good religious people of Roscommon. They probably thought this was the coming of Jesus Christ. (laughs) Well, the thing is, you know, that moment, I mean, it really showed me that people there's no like yes people and no people. I guess when you ask people, you ask them in their situation of that moment. And there's so many factors that will lean them towards saying yes or saying no. And I guess that was the most explicit example of how close an acceptance and a refusal is how how fine the boundary is um so yeah that's 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 definitely one one of my highlights from ireland wow uh, how was it then staying like what was you when they said come on back were you like uh, it must have been quite a weird feeling <laughs> yeah well i guess i i was losing i was losing you know i was going back on myself i i didn't i didn't like that idea but you know it was only it was only a couple of hundred meters and yeah. no, no, it was, it was, it was great. It was lovely. They, they were so, so kind. Um, and yeah, I remember it was, it was a young couple and the woman was pregnant. They didn't have any children yet, uh, but she was very pregnant. Um, yeah. And, and, uh, yeah, yeah, no, that was, that was it. Um, any other thoughts or, or highlights from Ireland? And how did Ireland compare to France? Mm. 
let we're obviously not talking about the countryside or anything like that, but I guess was there any difference that you noticed in terms of the people that you were asking and yeah. how people reacted, etc.? So, you know, in general terms, in terms of people saying yes or no to me, there was no big difference. The, I, I guess the big social difference that I really noticed was that in Ireland, no matter who it was, in the end, in the conversation, it would always come to, do you know this person? Oh, you're from there. I'm from here. Just trying to find the human link, the human connection of knowing a common person. Uh, and in France, that's, I, I'm tempted to say that never happened. It's not in the French mentality. You know, maybe, maybe just because France is a much bigger country, so you're less likely to know people in common. Yeah. Whereas in Ireland, you know, after talking about the weather, it's the first, you know, you're, you're trying to find the person you know in common. It's like an old Irish technique for figuring out who you are. You know, yeah. what yeah. what ca- what category can I put you in? Where are you from? Okay, can I put you in that category exactly? And, and what type of people are from? It's a way of, of knowing, can I trust you? Because if you know yeah. people that I know, yeah, then yeah. I guess, well, either they're very dodgy and I don't trust you, or yeah. they're not and I do trust you. Um, or I, you can look them up in the yellow pages then and find them <laughs> if you have any problems with you. <laughs> Where, where did you finish? Uh, yeah, back back in my family home in, in Dublin. Um, mm-hmm. So that was, again, similar to when I left France. You know, the first 10 kilometers were quite strange. Uh, in France, the last, I'd say the last 20 kilometers in Ireland were quite strange because I was walking through places I knew. Um, you know, I had walked down from Mullingar along is that the is it the Royal Canal? Um, yeah, along the canal, and then into you know all places that I knew, and I was still asking for food, still asking for places to stay, and that again was quite strange, uh, because I was so close. Um, but you know, when you're walking, you can't. I mean, I do. I didn't want to push myself, so you know, I just walk within what I was capable of walking. Um. Yeah. How did it feel when you when you finished? Like, yeah, quite, quite, quite strange. I, I nearly, I mean, the feeling that comes back to me now is empty. Um, I think because there, my parents were not in Ireland. Mm. Um, I remember I went to your house and mm-hmm. you were there mm-hmm. and I didn't want to just go back to my my house or my parents' house where I knew there was nobody um, and so I went to your house, you weren't there and then I went to Cormac's house and you were actually in Cormac's house and Jeez, I don't yeah, remember this that felt amazing just because yeah. I guess I wasn't on my own. It would have just felt so strange going back to like an empty house of my parents because they were in France. Yeah. Um, but because because I didn't have a phone and because 
my movements weren't totally predictable. I also didn't, I wasn't able to tell you guys this day is when I'll be back. Yeah. Um, so yeah, no, that was, yeah, yeah. I do remember arriving to Cormac's house and you being there. If you can imagine a room full of all of the people who said yes and gave you food and gave you a place to stay. Imagine you, you rented a room in a pub or something and all of those people some somehow magically uh, were there and were, were going to celebrate the, an evening with you. Mm-hmm. What would you say? What would you say to those people? What difference did they make in your life? Mm, yeah, that's quite an amazing question. I've, I've never been asked that one. Um, I finally so, got one. <laughs> I guess, first of all, thank you. Like, thank you to those people. Because if it wasn't for, like, every single one of those people that helped me along the way, the walk wouldn't have been possible. Um, and I guess they showed me and they showed everybody I came across you know because in the end it was a sort of a story like I was telling a story I was living a story as I was walking and telling it to everybody I was coming across and I guess they were showing me and everybody else how much as humans we can depend on each other and how kind and trusting we as humans actually are Mm. yeah Um, it's a nice way to look at it Um, there's a poem that I think it's a poem you sent to me um, called Ithaca yes parts of the poem okay Uh, maybe it's not even is it a poem or uh, yeah it is yeah yeah it is I've never heard it before um, and I don't know what Ithaca uh, Ithaca stands for or means um, but basically the poem goes a little bit like this and there's some words here that I, I don't know how to pronounce so excuse my pronunciation but um, it's as you set out for Ithaca hope your road is a long one full of adventure full of discovery Um I don't know how, what the pronunciation of this name is. Lastrigenus, Cyclops, Wild Poseidon. You won't encounter them unless you bring them along inside your soul. Unless your soul sets them up in front of you. Keep Ithaca always in your mind. Arriving there is what you're destined for. But don't hurry the journey at all. Um, why is that something that you picked out? And how did you come across that in the first place? Um, so this poem, uh, I first came across this September. Um, so September, 10 months ago. Um, the head or the, the, the principal of the school I'm now working in um, chooses a poem at the start of every school year. And Ithaca was the poem of this year, of September. Um, and at some stage during the year, I was asked to do a talk to the school about my walk. And I, you know, those, the, the poem I found was quite relevant to, mm. to, to, to some aspects of the walk. Um, and so those particular lines that I picked out 
um, you know, that middle section about bringing those kind of demons with you. Um, mm. I guess the idea there is, had I taken, um, I suppose, too much judgment or too much, uh, not enough belief in humankind, I would have never reached my destination. Ithaca being the destination. Um, and so it was only thanks to seeing what I took with me, which was, I suppose, belief and trust, um, that, that I managed to, to get to the, the destination of my journey, you know, which was in the end, quite simple, like crossing France and, and, and walking around Ireland. Do you think it's important that you, we sometimes take a concept like belief or trust, um, because these are just concepts, they're not something that physically exists. Um, is it important that every now and then, in some way, shape or form, we test those concepts? Because this is kind of what you did on this walk, you were testing it. Yeah, very much so. Uh, yeah, and I would, I would say I wasn't testing it for myself. I would say I left have, knowing that that trust and that belief existed because had I not, I would have been crazy embarking on the journey. But I guess I was testing it and proving it to those around me or to the world. Um, yeah, uh, but I think it is, it is good, you know, as humans to, to kind of test those things and, and, and I guess experience them because it, it makes them real. Yeah. So like almost 10 years now later. Yeah. Um, is there anything that you have taken from that walk that you would utilize in your day-to-day -day life or maybe sometimes if you come across a challenge you're like you're now um obviously you're you're professional working as a teacher in a secondary school you you have a daughter um you have all kinds of you know uh, responsibilities etc a very different life now compared to that of of nine years ago but what do you take from the experience that you had walking from south of france with no shoes no money no phone no map etc all the way around ireland and then back to your home place in dublin is there anything that you've taken from that to your life now yeah so i guess on the bigger scale um i suppose that feeling that everything's going to be okay um everything will work out and um that idea, you know, in life, you always come, there's always so many crossroads in life, um, you know, career-wise, family-wise, where you live-wise, just all those big crossroads. And from the journey, I learned that it doesn't really matter. The individual decisions that you take in the moment don't really matter. And I guess what I mean by that is, as I was heading northwest in France, at any crossroads, had I turned left or right, 
I would have still ended up in the northwest of France in the end. The, the, you know, the journey would have been slightly different. The individual people I would have met along the way would have been slightly different. But the journey as a whole, I would have learned the same and I would have reached my destination. And I guess I take that with me in life, that the individual small decisions I take on a day-to-day or even, you know, on a bigger scale, job-wise, family-wise, in the end, things work out and, and I'll end up where where I need to be with the experiences I need to experience. Yeah. Man, it's, it's funny. I can think of so many just things from my own life now that where I can apply that type of logic and philosophy. And, um, but it, it's one thing thinking it, and it's another thing truly believing it and truly knowing it. Um, and I think perhaps the power or, or what you, the power that you've gained by doing something like that is, I imagine that that thinking has moved to a belief, like a true belief. Um, and I, and as to a certain extent, you've tested that in yourself um, and tested, all right, here's, here's, here's what I think. I think people are generally good and that they'll be nice and sound and give me food and give me a place to stay. Let's see if it's true. And, and then kind of battling with those little demons and doubts of, despite all of the people saying no, like, as you said, having asked maybe at times 30 people for food or accommodation or whatever it might have been, I'm getting 30 no's and then having the the same curiosity and um, freshness or whatever you want to call it and asking the next person and not not getting beaten down by life. That's something I've kind of been thinking about recently is that, you know, as we grow up, we go, you know, have it's it's the kind of stereotypical kind of death of a salesman kind of story plot line of how life can kind of batter people about sometimes whether it's you know just paying bills or mortgages and whatever it might be and how that kind of strips away some of the fun or some of the dreams or some of the curiosity of people in general um, so I think like that spirit that you have of despite the the hard knocks, you know, getting up and being fresh eyed and like full of hope and for, for the next person that you come across or for the next challenge that you meet, um, that I find pretty inspirational. Uh, and I think people who are listening to this podcast will, will also find it inspirational. Um, the thing about a conversation is there's so much, you know, we've been speaking, I think, almost an hour at this point, and there's so much that we haven't touched on. Um, and it really, I think, I know you've spoken about this before, but it really would be a shame if you didn't write this down uh, properly. Um, not even to, not even with the intention of selling millions of copies, but just with the intention of properly recording it forever because I don't think there's any other way to do it. Like we can't have done it in this podcast. They could try and make a documentary, but they don't have the footage. Um, it really has to come from you and your experience. And you were the only one who was there in the room with the people and asking them on a daily basis. Uh, do you have, would you like to write it down at some point? 
when I say write it down, I mean, I mean, write a book. So I'm a maths teacher, which, <laughs> which, which, which means even though one of my colleagues, uh, in school is a maths teacher and an amazing poet, like he, he writes amazingly, uh, but that is not a skill that I feel I have. I, I think I'd really struggle to, to write a book on my own. Um, I think with the help of someone, so, you know, either a ghostwriter or I, you know, I don't know that much about writing, but I, if I imagine someone like you now asking me these questions, mm. like the book being a sort of a conversation or, or I, I'd need to be guided basically to, to write book. Um, yeah. yeah, I, I guess if I was to just sit down and put pen to paper, I think I'd just be terribly afraid of boring people. Um, <laughs> you know, and the, and the thing is, you can write, you know, some people have the ability of making a boring event really interesting in the mm. way they write about it. And I feel I'm nearly the opposite of that. You know, let's say this story is quite an amazing story, but I, I, I possibly be able to make it uninteresting in the way that I wrote it. No, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. But well, basically, yeah. I, I, I'm very open to the idea, but I need someone. I need some. I need some help, or or, or someone who would be keen to be on board with me. Mm. Um, I'm sure people would love to read it either way, written by you or written by someone else. Um, it's a, it's a pretty remarkable story, and thank you for sharing it um with us. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure. Yeah, thank you so much. It's been lovely talking about it. I, I, you know, as as time goes on, I talk about it less and less. So thank you. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.